0: This is Tom Lee, Editor-in-Chief for NEGM Catalyst, and we're talking today with Jennifer D. Cubelis, who moved into the role of CEO of Hennepin Healthcare in Minneapolis in February of 2020. Now, leading a safety net hospital in a major city is challenging in the calmest of times, but imagine taking the helm a month before the COVID pandemic hit, and then a few years later, having the murder of George Floyd just a few miles away from your organization. Even though this is her first CEO role, by all accounts, Jennifer has been doing a great job leading her organization through this last year. And we're going to talk with her today about what her biggest challenges were, what went right, some key lessons she learned, and how she looks at the period just ahead. Well, Jennifer, I followed HCMC in part because Hennepin Health, the collaboration between the county and the healthcare system that I know you helped develop when you were Deputy Administrator of the County uh, is so interesting. Uh, we could talk an hour about Hennepin Health, but for our audience today, can you give a quick summary of the organization you began leading last year?
1: Absolutely, Tom, and thank you. I'm honored to be here and talking with you today. Uh, Hennepin Healthcare is an integrated health system located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are an essential hospital with over 400 inpatient beds and a level one trauma center for both adults and children. Uh, We are ranked in the top 1% nationally for the lowest mortality rates and are a critical uh, safety net hospital serving Minnesotans. But in addition to that, we have a rich integrated system of clinics from primary and specialty care to home care and hospice, rehabilitation, and a whole array of community services Looking at prevention and early intervention. And just in a nutshell, I often speak of Hennepin Healthcare as the trifecta of healthcare, where we have a cutting edge research arm integrated with exceptional clinical service providers, and in a teaching hospital and environment where we have the ability to um, really influence the future of healthcare, how it's envisioned, how it's taught, and ensuring it's accessible to our entire community. So just really proud of the organization. It is extremely mission-focused as an essential safety net hospital, and the people that work within our walls just have incredible hearts and minds that they bring here every single day.
0: Well, you'll be pleased to know that I first visited your organization, like before your, your arrival there, I remember meeting someone who was in a fairly senior job, but she just moved there from another Minneapolis organization from the same with the same title. And I asked her, why did she move? And she said, this place is cooler.
1: And she really <laughs> meant
0: it. So uh, so I know that uh, when you say it's a great place, um, you know, you know, it, it means something real to the people who work there. But tell us, what was it like leading your organization in the early spring? When when COVID was increasing, your governor issued stay-at-home orders, President Trump was tweeting, liberate Minnesota. You you had many more cases in the fall of 2020, but your big challenges in that March-April timeframe?
1: Absolutely. So as a new leader, I took the CEO role two weeks before um – we did some executive orders here in Minnesota. Uh, so, you know, early on, it was about this robust 90 day plan I had developed, um, that got thrown out the door. And we just had to really pivot and to do so fast. There wasn't time as a new leader, uh, for me to learn. It was all hands on deck. We needed to trust our instincts and drive and respond. And it was really important that we did that as a team in those early days. Um, So really, you know, it was about teaming inside our walls with other health systems and with all levels of government to respond to what we know across the nation. None of us um, knew what was coming ahead of us. So I had to trust our team. I had to trust my leaders as a trauma one center. I would say those early months, um, what was easy for us or easier was that we are trained to respond to disasters. It's what our teams do. Um, So standing up incident command, getting into a rapid cadence, all hands on deck, redefining roles. That was really very instinctual for our team. But we found in the first wave is that we as essential hospital in the core of Minneapolis took the biggest hit. The metro area saw the impact first. We saw it disproportionately hitting um, individuals with low income, with complex health needs. And those are the very people that we serve here at Hennepin Healthcare. So we did see really high numbers. Um, and as a new leader, I would say one of our first real critical things was building confidence in our teams. Uh, when people were feeling a high level of personal and professional anxiety and unknowns, um, we had to be the reassurance and we did that through a lot of, um, visible visibility of leadership, but a lot of communication and frequent touch points so that people had the reassurances that they weren't in this alone. Um, And then we knew it was, you know, about uh, pivoting to what did our community need? What was essential? And and I would put our challenges into three big buckets. Uh, One was the inequities that we were seeing about who was being impacted the hardest um, the second is addressing fear and safety of the teams, as I just mentioned. And the third was the financial impact to the business side of the organization. And from the inequities, I, I think you've seen this play out nationally, but we certainly saw that the call for masking, for social distancing, for isolating at home and quarantining were all really good public safety measures. Um, but they're also privileges that not everybody had access to. Um, So we knew in the early days that we needed to stand up, we needed to hand out masks, we needed to make sure those were accessible, we needed to make sure testing wasn't just drive through testing, um, because that wasn't going to be accessible for a lot of people we serve in the core of downtown. Um, And so we built testing, we went to shelters, we went into public housing, we set up return to work capacity for people to get tested so that they safely could go to work and keep other members at their workplaces safe for those essential workers that were outside of our walls and really got creative on how do we help people with food supports if they need to quarantine? How do we help? We staffed our nursing homes in our local area when they saw staff outages, meaning that seniors were potentially going to be unsafe. We redeployed our staff to provide there. So those inequities really played out fast as one big challenge that we needed to think differently of. And then I mentioned the addressing the fear and the safety of our teams, arming people with data, science, information. Um, and balanced approaches. Uh, part of that was uh, we couldn't say everything was rosy. We had to be transparent. We had to keep the balance of addressing the fear and the reality, um, but also providing them the reassurances that we have 7,000 employees and that we're 7,000 strong and we're gonna get through this as a community and as a family together. Those were some of our critical early challenges we needed to address. And then it was about finances. Um, You know, What do we shut down? How do we shut down quickly as a safety net essential hospital across the state of Minnesota and regionally? um, We don't have a lot of the same books that um, other health systems have. So it was getting creative to start projecting forward about what was going to be the impact so we indeed could keep our doors open to realize that mission we had.
0: Well, it must have been dizzying, but then on May 25th, George Floyd was killed. And soon, demonstrations were occurring uh, in Minneapolis every night. Uh, so, how? What was the fallout from that killing? What did it mean for your medical center? Uh,
1: absolutely, Tom. We were at a you know we were at a breaking point with fear, anxiety, and responding to COVID. And you throw the trauma that hit our community so hard on top of that, and um, we certainly were at the epicenter. Um, being in downtown Minneapolis, we our EMS covers the Minneapolis area. We are the first responders. Um, so when protests were happening, when there was civil unrest, um, it's our team members that we had to uh, deploy. Um, so a lot of it was the early balance of safety for our teams, but knowing we are also the life-saving effort for our community. And so having to go into hotspots, having to partner really closely, uh, with community leaders and with public safety to make sure we could both balance that safely for our team members, um, but also respond to the trauma, because our emergency department was handling the trauma. Literally, the trauma that in our community was playing out on our streets, it was also playing out in our emergency department. Um, we lost a community clinic. We, uh, One of our community clinics sat uh, across the street from the police precinct, and it was burned in those early fires. And that just added to the the loss, the pain, the trauma that not only were our team members feeling, but certainly were trying to rally and heal um, a community that was hurting incredibly. So it it really took us back to focusing on the basics. The safety of our staff and our patients um, became an all-out focus area um, that we needed to have all hands on deck for. Um, and so, you know, how did we respond to that? I think in the early days, it was easy for people to call on us to say, let's, um, call on, uh, the police department. Let's, um, point the blame somewhere else. And what we did instead is we really said, this isn't about blaming others. It's about doing our part to address the inequities that we see in Minnesota and the unjust reality that we see around healthcare. Um, and so we really turned it on ourselves to address systemic racism uh, within our walls, um, outside of our walls and how we partner with community and really turned our focus as an organization to being a critical asset that works to remove those barriers, address the inequities and revision healthcare as a way to help heal with our community.
0: Well, you know, that was my next question, which is, what kind of messages were you giving your workforce at that time? I mean, clearly, uh, instinctively, or you know, just because you know you're strategic and 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 a good manager, you—it sounds like you understood that what it would take to build trust in your workforce, that uh, you and the rest of the leaders of the organization, you know. Got what was important to them and that they could trust you?
1: I would say we worked really hard on it. We didn't always get it right. You never do. Um, One of the things that, and and credit to our communications department, that they knew was essential was the visibility of leaders. Um, So rounding um, regularly was important. But we also put out video messages um, to be able to hear and see each other and, and, you know, early adopters of. Still getting into to meeting space, even if it was virtual. And some of that messaging was, it was reassurances, but reality. It was letting people know we've been through, we do trauma here. We can get through this. It is a different type of trauma and it is an elongated response. I think that was the hard thing. And so we talked a lot about balance. Um, do what you can do today. Uh, bring your best self, look out for each other. There was a lot of just incredible compassion for team members and for each other across the organization um, that we worked really hard to highlight how people are supporting each other um, and really gave our team members permission to tap out. Um, We talked a lot about that balance of um, this is a personal impact to, to all of us. And we need you professionally at your best. And when you need to tap out, we've got 7,000 strong team members that are going to step in for each other and really balance that. I would say another thing we worked on with our workforce is our behavioral health arm, um, our mental health services, um, really became a critical team support. Um, so they pivoted as well to not just providing the mental health supports to our community and the services that they are um so strong at delivering, but they really turned to provide those supports. And so we had a response system to provide our own wellness supports to our team members. And we partnered with our spiritual care as well. Um, you know, the the loss of life that we were seeing, even as a level one trauma center, um, surmounted anything we have experienced before. So our spiritual care team also Um, not only worked with families and with community in incredible ways, but really began to partner with our team members to keep that foundation of support present. And I I will just call out one um, thing that we highlighted a lot throughout the year was uh, the shout outs across our organization that came from each other. Um, Shout outs daily from doctors, thanking our environmental services workers for being essential team members in how they cleaned rooms, how they turned beds, how they stopped and provided support to the physicians as well. It really was a level setting across our organization of our ability to highlight inspirational moments that kept people going um, and, and talking a lot about the incredible hearts and minds that roll up their sleeves every day within our walls to move this work together.
0: Well, now attention's turning has turned to vaccines and how's it going with your workforce? And You know, what are you doing to reduce vaccine hesitation uh, with, you know, with your own employees?
1: Yes, vaccine has been kind of another wave, and it's been another wave of, of rapid responding. It's fast, it's uncertain, it's constantly changing as we get new vaccines or new learnings, and it has that same urgency of the response early on from COVID was. So our our challenge early on in the vaccines was more about um, the push to go fast, and we did a lot of messaging across the organization to say we're not just going to go fast. We understand the urgency, but we have to be committed to being intentional. And our commitment was to the inequities we saw early on in who was in our walls, um, struggling to survive. And those inequities, we didn't want that to play out in our vaccines. And if we focused just on fast and getting shots into arms as our top priority without being intentional on the who, we would leave the very people who have the greatest inequities, the greatest impact, but also barriers to accessing those vaccines behind. So we knew um, that we needed to first be intentional in order to get it right And, and reference to folks speed is important, but intentionality is equally as important. And so, you know, again, we we focused on vaccines in shelters, vaccines, uh, reaching out to individuals with language barriers. So really um, harnessing our interpreters to make those calls and to make sure individuals where language was likely going to put them at the back of the line because it wasn't going to be accessible, knew how to get to the front of the line. technology limitations. A lot of systems are pushing messaging out to get vaccines through technology that isn't always available to all communities. And so we knew we needed to do that differently as well. So we started getting into local media, as an example, and media that was representative of communities where we were seeing the biggest impacts, not just mainstream media. And then we also saw early on a lot of transportation issues. So fast means we got quick notice from the federal government and the state that vaccine was available and we needed to get it out the door in three days. However, our um, public program transportation uh, takes three days to schedule and more typically is required within a seven day window. So we knew right away, we had to again, get creative and get out to communities so that we could get um, the right individuals uh, impacted and with those vaccines and some of the hesitancy um, was bridged through partnering with who are the natural community leaders. So if individuals don't trust healthcare, care, um, who are the trusted resources? And it was partnering with the moms, with pastors, with community leaders, with community-based organizations, places that already had that trust, and to say, let's build a response system together. Um and I, I think a lot of it is about keeping, on, keeping talking. So we've been able to fill. We haven't had unused doses. We've been able to fill. We've gone to churches and partnered there and had elders coming in. Um, and what we will do over time is can t- keep listening about who are we still missing? Who is still hesitant? What are their worries? And if we can lead with data, science, and trust, I, I'm confident we'll get folks there.
0: One cool thing I learned recently was that a couple institutions have figured out that key influencers in their hosp- hospitals are uh, cashiers in the in the cafeteria, and having them say, "Have you had your vaccine yet uh, seems to have more impact than having chief medical officers talk about it all <laughs>
1: you, so, you are absolutely yeah. right, and we saw that uh, heard a great story about our one of our facility directors um, who walked walked a lot of his own employees over to the vaccine. They were hesitant, and he said, you know what? I gotcha. and how about if we go together, and let's do this um, as a team, and those are the things that make a difference, and what we found is those individuals then championed it and went, okay, I'm going to grab my next three team members and make sure they're comfortable as well and get over there.
0: Well, that's great, but all right. So when you look back in your first year, my assumption is that you couldn't possibly imagine that it would be anywhere near as challenging and interesting as it was. Uh, Any quick summary of uh, what went right or what you might do differently if you had the chance?
1: Absolutely. These are constant reflections because I think, uh, again, this is just a new world for all of us, not just me as a new leader, but for our organization, for our community. And so we're constantly reassessing what's working, what's not working. And I would say, you know, what went right as I look back at 2020 and as we focus on what we need to do in 2021, our focus on team. Um, has certainly been a a high point. Um, Our leaders being able to move quickly on decision-making and supports. I often hear folks say, we hope that we can use that same fast decision-making teamwork um, angle in as our new normal and not just as a crisis response. And so we're holding on to some of what we've heard across our organization and from our community about where we got it right. Um, and that as leaders, it was less about us, it was all about our team members, and that we were the cheerleaders. Uh, we were the ones that kept them going, provided the supports when we knew they were getting tired, and listened and learned from their experiences in order to best heal and, and be there for our community. Uh, what I would say from uh, what would we do different um, uh, is pivoting sooner. Uh, In 2021, we're having some pretty hard times right now um, because our focus was so much on the crisis at hand. I don't know that we pivoted from just trying to survive COVID-19 and the community unrest um, to pivoting to thriving. Um, So how do we grab those opportunities, grab our new reality and Um, really embrace it so that it is less of a crisis response and it is more an opportunity to do work differently. And we've done that with our health equity and and championing that work and what we've seen is so essential across our community. Um, But we also kicked some strategic efforts, some uh, budget efforts down the line when we saw the second big wave coming in the fall and so what I would do differently is is really try to do some more of that parallel pivoting. We've got to learn how to thrive in a new reality, and we've got to do that a little bit faster, um, in order to not have um, delayed impacts years out.
0: Well, it sounds like uh, you've thought through my my last question is pretty clearly. Uh, I, which is, you know, what are the big challenges for the year ahead? So, like, like what are you telling your board? Are are the, the the top one, two, or three things to to worry about?
1: Yeah, I would say it's two. It, it is health equity. It is what has been called out across our community, both in the COVID and and in the response to the death of George Floyd, um, health equity is certainly a charge, and as a mission-driven organization, um, we are committed to changing healthcare and to being the ones that help eliminate the inequities that we see in Minnesota in particular. Um, COVID taught us how important prevention and early intervention is, and so we're working on building an intentional focus of how do we help everybody be healthy, because we see when there's disparate outcomes in healthcare, um, that there are disparate impacts when we get the kind of crisis we've seen with COVID. Uh, We're focusing on population and community health. Everybody's health matters. And that, uh, again, is so commonly seen now across all of our states. And then as a, a teaching hospital, we're working on how we practice medicine, how we train the future providers. Um, is it's critical to listen to community and to revision health systems so that they truly work for everybody. So that revisioning healthcare for the future is a, a key focus area specific to health equity. And then the financial uh, recovery and stability of the organization. Um, what we've learned is it's not about building everything ourselves. It's about partnering it very intentionally. And again, we did as well in Minnesota, on our response to COVID because all health systems were leaning in together. We were on regular calls. We were sharing resources. We were sharing ideas. Um, That partnership is what helped us all survive. And so we're replicating that going forward with how do we partner with community to build the health system that our community needs, but to not do it in isolation, to to truly do it as a community. Um, Because investing in what matters, I think, is our pathway to that uh, financial recovery as well as... The health outcomes being the, the best outcomes and the best value for our community that we can be.
0: Well, Jennifer, you know, I want to thank you so much for sharing your experiences from your first year. I really hope the second year isn't quite as exciting, <laughs> uh, but I know there's plenty of good work ahead and you and Hennepin Healthcare will be you know, definitely worth following for people around the country. Uh, so thank you once again, and uh, I will be following along.
1: Thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity, and it's been a privilege to, to be in this role of service to our community, and we've got a lot of work to do, uh, but we're absolutely up for the challenge.